0: Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. You know, it's been so exciting to be able to do this podcast for the last few year. We've had well over, we've done well over 120 of them now to date, and you know, we've had some really exciting guests on. But this is going to be, I think, a very special edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Why? Because you know, though I have thought about it and we've discussed it as a matter of fact for about a week and a half ago, we had a guest on from Scotland who literally was talking about the issues that she was running into trying to find effective medication for her child. And we've already gotten, you know, pretty amazing response from that uh, podcast because a lot of people don't know what's going on in the rest of the world. And we have an opportunity today to find out about from other places in the world, really one in particular, Africa. And I got to tell you something. When the idea came up to interview the guests that we had, I it took me a little back for a second because I was like, wait a minute. Africa and cannabis. Africa and cannabis. Oh my goodness. You know, it, it, that's one of those things that I never thought about, but I should have thought about. And then when I think about it, why is it not something that a lot of other people are discussing Mm -hmm. cannabis had to be and hemp had to be a part of the fabric of africa when you take a look at the fact that you know and uh, just imagine i mean when our slave ships and not ours when slave ships went to africa they were sailing on hemp sails using hemp rope most of the sailors and people were the crew members were in hemp clothing and that hemp clothing didn't only come out of Europe, so why have we never discussed hemp, cannabis, in Africa? And so to have an opportunity to do so today, I'm just really kind of blown away and really excited. So my guest today is an entrepreneur who has got a background in investment banking and strategic business development. He earned his bachelor's degree of sociology and African studies from Hamilton College of, college, and his MBA from the University of Michigan. Oh, hemp, hello. Having decades of experience doing business in Africa, he's on a mission to build the foremost vertically integrated cannabis company on the African continent. His company is called Afro Helios Global, and he's awarded his initial license back in 2019 from the Kingdom of Lesotho, Ministry of Health, to cultivate, process, package, export cannabis products from the capital of Masuru to the world. Darren Hickman, thank you so much sir, for being a part of Let's Be Blunt today with Montel.
1: Hey, Montel, thank you so much for having me join today. I'm really excited.
0: I am so excited, my friend. I mean, first off, you know, again, I, as I just discussed, it's it's really, I seem kind of dumbfounded that I've never thought about <laughs> cannabis in the African continent. And then when I think about it even more, I wonder why it has not been more Prevalent in the African continent, I, mean, I would think, from a just from a a agricultural growth standpoint, this would be an easy product, hemp, to grow on the African continent. Number one, and number two, it would have just had its natural benefits from the hemp standpoint. Let's skip the before we talk about the cannabis or talk about the marijuana standpoint. You know, uh, uh, the hemp standpoint. It, I don't understand why it has not been an integral part of the fabric of African agriculture. Introduced to Africa approximately a thousand years ago?
1: That's Is right. Over 1, a thousand month. years from Asia. That's right.
0: But was it really only introduced from Asia a thousand years ago when we start to stop and we really stopped to think about the fact that hemp and cannabis made its way into the Middle East, into the areas around, you know, Assyria, uh, uh, Israel, which was then, wasn't Israel then, but, you
1: know, mm-hmm. Palestine
0: back then. Hemp has always been a part of the natural fabric or agriculture in those areas. I mean, you know, when you look at some of the plants and some of the, the types of plants that were grown in those areas, some would say that, you know, 2,000 years ago, you know, the wise men took a little hemp to the baby Jesus. And, you know, the anointing oil that uh, Jesus was used was, has, been, has been you know argued back and forth that it was hemp based. Mm-hmm. So, did the rest of the continent not have an opportunity to deal with it, or, or what was going on? I, I just don't. Well,
1: know well, the rest of the continent, as as you said, it's it's been there for over a thousand years. It was introduced by Asia, but it also did come into the Middle East, particularly into North Africa. But with respect to the rest of the continent, now over those thousand years, it's made its way throughout the continent. Uh, it's been used. religious ceremonies it's been used medicinally it's been used recreationally and and as you've alluded to with respect to hemp, it's been used you know industrially in in many ways so you know it's always been here in some capacity um but like much of the rest of the world you know around 1925 you know with the the whole geneva convention you know it also became illegal africa followed suit much like the rest of the world and criminalizing it
0: but that's one that it also because the United States didn't make hemp and cannabis sale illegal until 1937, the 1937 Tax Act. So mm-hmm. that means that Africa jumped aboard this way earlier, and the rest of the world. There were some areas of the world that thought that you know cannabis was some foul product that should be put in the same category as opioids and opium and all of those things. But the rest of the world, some of the rest of the world didn't think that it, it took the United States to get a lot of this planet to outlaw the sales of hemp internationally after mm. 1937. But Africa, I guess, outlawed this earlier. Is that right?
1: So you know, one has to remember that Africa during that period, you know, was being colonized, and so while it's it's the case that from a colonization, the colonial powers outlawed it uh, during that time. The indigenous population continued to use it um, in many different ways. So it, it continued to exist um, underground and illegally. Now, people don't realize Africa is the world's largest producer and consumer of cannabis. So you know, it's, it's continued for generations, even though from a legislative or legalization perspective, it's been criminalized for quite a while. But the indigenous population used it for quite a while
0: and you know, before we I'm gonna get in some questions about your background, but before we do that, mm-hmm. I want to kind of just talk through other plants that are on the African continent that have somewhat similar, not necessarily exactly similar, but similar kind of properties when it comes to euphoric effect. There's something called cot. Am I saying that right? Have you heard of that? That's that's a that's a yes. That people I've heard chew. of cut,
1: they chew on it, right? Yeah, it. I've heard of it. Um, I, I don't know a lot about it, to be quite honest, but it is present. There are other similar kind of, depending on where you are in the continent, a lot of these uh, local plants that you know the, the, that Africans chew and utilize uh, medicinally and for recreational purposes. That is, there's,
0: a, there's, a, there's something like a beetle nut or a little nut thing that also that has a kind of a property like that, right? You chew on that also?
1: That That's right. It's that very similar. Like,
0: that I think came from the Middle East, or right. not the Middle East, but right. it probably came to the Far East first. Because I think you, know, you can find beetle nut in places like Guam and places like you know uh, South Vietnam and across there. So, was there a stigma? Forget the European colonialist mm-hmm. attitude, but was there really a stigma towards using plants with these kind of properties on the African continent before the Europeans kind of? force that down the throat of Africans.
1: No, not really. There there wasn't any kind of stigma associated with it prior to that. Um as I said, it was much like many of the other plants that existed that Africans used for many different purposes. And so, you know, cannabis and hemp was just among many of them. But, you know, once the Europeans started pushing, you know, the stigmatization of it and then also religion um started coming into play in terms of cannabis, it also influenced uh, cannabis and the perception so often you'd find that um e- even in you know, african populations if they tend to be more christian you would find that cannabis was more stigmatized in those communities as a result
0: very very interesting i i'm 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 i think it's I mean, you're gonna make me go out to the library or sorry go over the internet and start reading and once <laughs> I got again and find out more and more and more about this there because i mean you right. know, when we take a look at at just the evolution of hemp cannabis on the planet we can go all the way back to the late 1500s you know i mean mm-hmm. uh, i think science recognized back in the late 1500s that the hemp plant and hemp seeds were more protein laden than any other plant on the planet or one of the highest protein laden seeds and people consumed a lot of hemp in the way of porridge and then they also realized how hardy it was as a a a fabric or to be used for ropes and to be used for clothing and you know, I mean, a lot of people think you know that the United States of America was built on the back of tobacco and cotton, but it was built on the back of hemp. Hemp, I mean, when, yes. It, when when the co- the colonies were first formed, you were considered unpatriotic if you didn't grow hemp as a farmer.
1: Mm-hmm. That, that's quite right. That's quite sure. right. And so, Africa, y'all, you know, Africa didn't have that stigmatization, that stigmatization for a long time. But as I said, as that European influence continued to spread. In many of the areas, that stigmatization did increase. Uh, but people still continue to use it. But in an official capacity, it was looked yeah. down upon.
0: That's that's insane. I mean, I, I, again, I look back and looking back in time, it was a natural thing for all of our forefathers grew. I mean, when they, they took a look at Benjamin Franklin's pipes that were on his desk in the Smithsonian Institute, scraped them out and realized the homeboy was catching a little buzz every now and then. You know, so, it was, but, but you also have to remember and think in terms of what life was like on this planet. We didn't have air conditioning. You didn't have heat. You didn't have any, you know, people were still going out in the woods and, and wiping their butts with, with uh, leaves. With leaves, so, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, life was hardy and tough. Most people in the United States or in the colonies, the water that they drank was, you know, 2.3 to 2.6% alcohol. That's right. I
1: actually wasn't aware it was that that high.
0: Correct. Well, you know, wow. yeah, to, be able, to be able to kill off some of the bacteria and some of those Makes sense. Little, little stuff, they had to be around a 2.56 level. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Some people say that it could have been as high as 3.2. I don't think so. I think it was more in a 2.0. You know, they just got a, a alcohol base going that they knew that when consuming water, they wouldn't get sick. That was the bottom line. Right. You know, because you couldn't go to a stream and grab a cup, a, a cup of a mouthful of water and walk mm-hmm. away without getting some dysentery or something. You right. be- You're
1: rolling the dice when you did something like that.
0: Correct. So when we look back at Africa it, it, and you being in the business of of hemp, cannabis in Africa, have you taken a deep dive looking back historically in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s to take a look and see what it was like and what the attitudes were about it then
1: and how it was part of the fabric of the society? Well, in terms of how it's part of Fabric Society, I haven't gone that in depth. they have definitely you know, taken a look at the historical um, impact of cannabis on the continent and its pathway and, and its growth and its usage. Um, but, you know, you alluded to before you know, often being used as porridge in some uh, some nations. I have not seen that. I'm not saying that hasn't occurred on the continent. But in terms of my studies, I haven't come across that. Uh, but, yes, we've, we've had to take a deep dive you know, to understand even culturally the place of hemp in, you know, the African community here. So we've you know, done that kind of research.
0: Gotcha. So let's back up a little bit first. Let, give me your background before you decided to get into this business. You've
1: been involved in business in Africa for quite a long time, correct? That's right. I've been involved in business in Africa for uh, close to 25 years now. Um, even, even before I made the move here, I started getting actively involved, you know, in business on the continent. Now I think I was kind of bitten by the bug when I was in university. I went to college back during the late '80s, during you know the height of the divestment movement that was happening on college campuses. And I was your stereotypical college ap- activist, you know, taking over campus buildings, trying to get the school to divest from businesses that uh, were investing in South Africa. And went to school with a couple of South Africans at that point. And you know, I remember back then just being, you know, so impressed. And always had an interest. Obviously, I, I minored in Africana studies. So I've always had a very strong and close relationship with the continent, you know, going back years or so. And I think going to school during the late 80s, you know, I, I remember distinctly when Mandela was released from prison. You know, when I was in college and living in the Afro-Latin Cultural Center and being woken up, you know, one, one afternoon, one late, you know, late morning by the South African students celebrating. You know, on campus that, you know, he had been released. And so the bug bit me then. And I saw the opportunity, you know, on the continent. If you think about emerging markets, I always saw the continent really as the last real emerging market and the best, you know, opportunity for long term growth. And so even going to the University of Michigan, uh, I got my MBA from the University of Michigan. The reason I went to the University of Michigan is it had the only MBA program in the United States that actually puts you on the ground in Africa in order to get, you know, on the ground experience and skills. And so you know, the interest has always been there, but you know, I, I didn't make the move at first. You know, after I got my MBA, I went and did as you mentioned the investment banking thing, I joined JP Morgan and did that for a couple of years. And yeah. as much as I enjoyed it, you know, I was looking for something more. And Back in 2000, I have a cousin who lives in Johannesburg and I'll try to give you the real short version of it. But I have a cousin who lives in Johannesburg. And at the last minute, you know, he mentioned, hey, I'm getting married. You want to come over, uh, you know, for my wedding. And so I flew over, you know, for his wedding. No plans just to celebrate and come back home, get back to work. But it's amazing how when you get away from your day to day life, you get clarity. And I had that internship when I was getting my MBA and then took to the So it developed a pretty good relationship in Southern Africa. But on that trip, literally one day I'm on a bus with, with the family on this outing. And I just said, Hey, I've always wanted to do this. The longer I stay in New York, the more I put down roots, the more difficult it becomes to make that move. I'm just, I'm just going to quit and I'm going to move to Africa. It was literally like that fly by the seat of your pants moment. And I, I literally did that. I got off the plane from Africa. I went into J.P. Morgan. I said, "Guys, I'm done. Um, I, I need something more. I need something that's going to really um, connect me better to what I'm doing." As much as I loved what I was doing, because when I was at J.P. Morgan, one of the things I did was co-founded their Sports and Entertainment Group, and I was working with young black men, you know, who had this high income, you know, making significant amount of uh, income but they were not able to translate that into wealth. And I'm sure you've heard the statistic, you know, 70% of professional athletes, when they're done, their career is over within five years, you know, they're in financial trouble um, or bankrupt. And so I saw an opportunity to help. But as much as I enjoyed that, you know, that pull of the continent was strong for me. You know, as I said, I saw the upside there. Um, I saw a chance to really kind of bridge, you know, being a man of African descent living in the United States to bridge Africa and the United States as another power base as another economic base and so I made that move you know, I did the banking thing for a little while again when I first got to South Africa and then eventually I spun out and started you know leading startups on the continent so and I've been doing that for the last you know twenty years or so
0: and those were startups not related to cannabis
1: no they were not related to cannabis because As I said, legalization only really started taking place on the continent in the last couple of years. Lesotho legalized the commercialization of cannabis in 2017, but only for export—you know, processing and export, not for internal use within the country. And Lesotho was the first African country to do that. South Africa decriminalized cannabis in 2018, so you know usage is you know is legal, but you still cannot buy or sell cannabis in South Africa, believe it or not. You can buy, you know, CBD and CBD infused products, but cannabis itself is still not legal uh, in terms of that, that commercialization. Uh, other African countries, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Uganda, Ghana is now discussing it, and Morocco. You're beginning to see this wave of legalization taking place now on the continent. I think African countries are beginning to identify the opportunity. I think for most African governments, I think initially their focus is the revenue, the tax base that can benefit from the industry. Um, But there's so much more to it. It's a transformative industry. And I think over time you're going to see the legislation on the continent change and really um, expand and allow for internal consumption legally.
0: Well, I mean, is that what led you to making a decision to get into the cannabis industry? You started watching the trends on the planet on the continent and said, This may take off and be a burgeoning industry. Stay with us.
1: We'll be right back. The red life i know this is going to become your new favorite podcast and i'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step by step every single week yeah there were a combination of factors that was one of them um i remember when south africa decriminalized in 2018 it piqued my interest i'm like all right there's there's an opportunity here you know and my relationship with cannabis has been you know over a number of years so I first saw it when I was growing up, my mom used to take it to help deal with stress. Um, I had a good friend who had a son that was severely autistic, and all the other you know pharmaceutical products they were using didn't work, and they discovered this combination of CBD and THC that literally overnight changed this young boy. Um, he was violently autistic, he was suddenly calm, communicative, and so I saw not just the recreational value, I saw the therapeutic value, the medicinal value, and just the growth that was happening. So it piqued my interest. Then towards the tail end of 2019, uh, a couple of colleagues that I've been working with over the years on the continent reached out to me and said, hey, listen, we've got this great opportunity. We, we have a license uh, in Lesotho to cultivate, manufacture and export cannabis. And so I was like, sounds interesting. But let me first take a look at this and first better understand what's really going on before I take the, the leap. And, you know, what I identified was kind of four converging themes that really made me decide to do this. One is just the growth. I mean, everybody knows right now the cannabis industry globally is just growing just ridiculously. And that's still with you know, legalization not being ubiquitous yet. So it's growing significantly. Um, I saw increasing commoditization. As this industry grows and growing methods become more standardized and you start seeing cannabis being used more for particularly for inputs into other products. I saw a downward, some downward pressure on the cultivation, the pricing of cannabis. Africa is well positioned to be a low production cost jurisdiction. I think arguably the lowest in the world. I think the only other place that might come close is, is South America. Or China. So I saw, or yet clearly China. Uh, China has huge uh, potential to be competitive. Um, I saw a significant opportunity with Africa to really enter this space. Just you know, the climate here, the amount of arable land, you know, the generations of expertise and skill in cultivating cannabis, you know, the lower labor cost—all said. All right, this is going to be where you know companies that want to grow on a large scale and at a low cost they're going to have to look at Africa as a viable place to do so. So that happened. Obviously, I saw the the legalization process taking place on the continent. And a lot of people traditionally look at Africa just as a place to extract natural resources. I think the African continent itself as a market has huge potential. I mean, it's, it's the fastest growing population on the planet. It has the youngest average population, the middle class, the fastest growing middle class. And so in terms of being a consumer market, this is going to be the place to be, you know, the next 10 to 15 years in terms of, you know, the growth of the cannabis industry. And well, then
0: just. Well, sorry, I, sorry I was, didn't interrupt you, but talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the you know, among this new generation, among the millennials, among the extras the, the who are all growing up now. Is cannabis becoming a viable alternative to alcohol? And 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 what were the attitudes on the continent when it came to alcohol? I, there's so much I don't know about Africa that I need to know and, and really make myself understand. But you know, it's like here in the United States, you know, we uh, I, I think you know we have force-fed alcohol generationally, you know, through college campuses mm-hmm. and to our you know it, it's it's part of the plan. All right, leak out of college without having understood how to get drunk. You know what I mean and then that's how you perpetuate sales when people leave. Right. But now, especially even during COVID, we've seen, you know, a rise in cannabis consumption here on this continent. It's probably one of the only recession proof industries in America right now. There's more mm-hmm. employment opportunities in America than we've seen in some some municipalities, the there's more employment in the cannabis space than there is in the police space or the civic you know, civil servant space. So what's going on in Africa? and Let's just talk about Lesotho. I mean, though you can't sell there, is there a market for it on the streets?
1: Is yeah, there- there's, there's always been a market for cannabis um, in Africa. As I said, Africa is both the largest producer and the largest consumer of cannabis on the planet. So the market has always existed here yeah you know, albeit just illegally you know the black market has existed so it's always been here i think what you're beginning to see now is just greater acceptance of you know the the therapeutic value and relative to alcohol you know essentially bring bring up alcohol that relative to alcohol the side effects are so much it's just so much fewer than what you would see with alcohol and my experience here with alcohol you know in in africa is that much, much like any society, you know, it has its challenges with, with alcohol. But I know particularly in places like Namibia, alcohol, the use of alcohol is so prevalent. Um, when I was there, you know, I'm six foot four, about 230. You now, I met, you know, women who were half my size who could, you know, drink me under the table. You know, so in many communities, there is a significant challenge with alcohol. Here in South Africa, as a matter of fact, Uh, There's such a challenge that during the pandemic, they actually banned the sale of alcohol during the shutdown because what they were so concerned about the number of emergency cases cases in the hospital as a result of alcohol related accidents and violence, and they wanted to create capacity, you know, in emergency rooms for COVID. That they actually banned the sale of alcohol. Uh, This past Easter weekend, they banned the sale from. Friday, you know, Good Friday to the following Monday, just because there's this concern about you know just the huge negative effect of alcohol. The cannabis is continuing to rise up in terms of its usage. Um, it's not yet there in terms of competing. Let's be honest, competing with alcohol, um, but it, it's growing and it's it's increasing.
0: And attitudes among young people, I they mean, are there. You know, i uh, when if you go to a party or you go to a club, uh, you know, uh,
1: that's widely I mean, used. Widely it's used it's widely used. Yeah, amongst young people, amongst young Africans, and particularly the more the more urban, the more likely uh they are to partake in, in cannabis usage. But it's it's in those young communities, it's socially acceptable to use cannabis.
0: And so okay, so then when again this French came to you and said, you know, why why don't you think about it? joining forces with us and let's uh Get into this cannabis business. Uh, your thoughts right there, right on the spot. You say, "Well, I hear you. You wanted. To let me do a little research first. Once you did a little bit of research, you said, "Let's go." What made you decide to go the route of a fully vertical, you know, outlet where you, you got to grow? Clearly, you probably have uh, you know some sort of a um, processing center and doing right. formulations. And uh, talk me through that. Sure. In
1: terms of the whole vertical integration strategy, I think once I made the decision to you know, get involved in industry, obviously, I you know, fully engrossed myself in trying to understand where the opportunities are. You know, what are the competitive and comparative advantages on the continent? Where is this industry growing, going globally and where is the best opportunity? And then I must be honest, just looking at agriculture and extractive industries in general, on the continent, and how they're often dealt with. Um, I felt like it was important for us to not just focus on the cultivation because what I did not want to happen is a replication of what happened, what's happened with cocoa, with diamonds, with gold. You know, they get extracted as raw materials with no value add, uh, no further benefit to the tax base of the African countries, no training, no job development in terms of adding value to those products. And I felt like with cannabis, here's an opportunity to do that because when you look at where the margins are in the cannabis industry, it's really, it, it's in the brands. You no, know, that's where the money really is in that space. And when you look at cultivation, as I said earlier, I feel like cultivation is going to become increasingly commoditized with downward pressure on those margins. And so if we really wanted to extract the maximum value from the value chain, we felt like we needed to begin, you know, we needed to be vertically integrated, you know, not out the gate, but begin moving in that direction. And so that's been our strategic focus. Let's bend down our com- competitive advantage in the cultivation space. But at the same time, let's make sure that we're going to be building out an extraction, manufacturing capabilities, and then also, you know, African brands, African and African diaspora brands, and then begin exporting those to the global market.
0: That's unbelievable. It really is. And now do do does Lesotho differentiate hemp cannabis or is it all still one plant?
1: It's all it's all categorized, categorized on the same plant. It's still it's all cannabis. And so so for example, in terms of our license, with our license that we have in Lesotho, um we can choose to deal in hemp, cannabis, you know, low THC, high THC. We've got kind of a broad, broad mandate in terms of, you know, the kinds of cannabis uh, plants that we work with. And so in Lesotho, they just kind of put it all together.
0: And, and one, you are producing for export. So what are some of the relationships that you've been able to form? And, and talk a little bit about the relationships around the world and how is it being well,
1: well, actually let's take a step back, just in terms of where we are in our stage of development. Um, we're, still, we're still in startup phase. So we've got our license in Lesotho, we're in the process right now of um, raising capital in terms of to, to build out our infrastructure. We're gonna be doing greenhouse grow in Lesotho. We're going to be doing, initially, we're going to be doing our extraction in South Africa. So we're going to be cultivating in Lesotho and then exporting that to South Africa for extraction. Because one of the um, requirements, particularly because we're gonna be um, exporting into Germany, into the UK, and you need to be GMP certified. And right now, the SUTU, because they're not part of what's called the PIC, uh, the Pharmaceutical um, Convention, they don't have the ability yet to GMP certified operations. South Africa is part of the PIC. And so they have GMP certified extractors that we'll be using for phase one that allow us to essentially access the market through their GMP certification. Then eventually we're going to be setting up our own extraction once Lesotho enters. And in all likelihood, if there's a delay, we'll set up our own extraction operations in South Africa in order to do that GMP extraction.
0: And so you would be
1: doing isolates
0: and just yes. you know, those depending on which one you can ship to which country.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what we're going to be doing, depending on the country that we're going to be shipping.
0: That's amazing. And so now, I guess, because of the the limitation to marketing and advertising here in the United States, it's hard for you to be able to break into this market because you can't tell anybody about the product that you have.
1: Right. That that, that is that's correct. That is one of our challenges right now. We're working through coming up with creative marketing strategies around how we enter the U.S. market and begin marketing and advertising. So right now, what we're doing, I mentioned being vertically integrated. One of the key um, aspects of what we're doing is creating a brand platform. And on this brand platform, you know, we want to work with high profile African, African-American um, personalities and really start kind of building brands around their personal brands. Much like you see already happening like yourself, you know, Snoop Dogg. There are a number of very high profile individuals who will build grab brands who are building products. We're going to be working with those individuals in order to start kind of supplying low cost cannabis into their products um, and building specific brands around them. So that's that's down the line once the legislation in the United States becomes much more amenable. You know, we're crossing our fingers with some of the things happening right now in the Senate that they fast track that because it'll, it'll allow us to enter the market sooner. But we're also I mean, looking at some CBD products also to begin entering U.S. market sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I know that they do allow for isolate of CBD oil. Right. The, the other cannabinoids brought in from outside of the United States. That's being allowed now. And as a matter of fact, they're even allowing in some THC products specifically. Mm-hmm. But it's, that's on individual deals. Um, have you, are you reaching out to other countries like Israel? Are you doing an exportation to South America? What are you doing?
1: Um, We're reaching out to Israel, so we're building relationships in Israel, uh, we're building relationships in Germany right now, and we're building relationships in the UK in terms of creating off opportunities for us, and also partners, and also we're looking, we're building relationships in, in Australia. Um, Australia has been quite active, in fact, in Southern Africa. Um, outside of Israel, I think Australia has been, or Canada, Australia has been the most active in Southern Africa, in the cannabis space. So, some of our key advisors, in fact, are Australian. You know, as we're growing out and building our concept development, we're working with Australians in terms of setting up some of that and leveraging some of their technical skills and expertise. And are you
0: now again? I know that you say you've got a, the, the mandate, or you're allowed to grow a broader spectrum of different plants, but now mm-hmm. you started venturing into looking to growing like hemp specifically for a lot of the new usages of the hemp fiber. I mean, you know, hemp fiber can be used in hempcrete. Hemp fiber can be used in, in mm-hmm. even uh, electrical storage because they're using hemp fiber to replace graphite in batteries. Um, you know, are you, are you venturing down that path, or are you looking more for the consumer version, the consumption version
1: of cannabis? In the short run, we're looking at the consumption version. Uh, clearly, uh, the hemp is on our radar screen. We just feel like right now, in terms of uh, looking at the hemp market more globally and where our advantages are, it makes more strategic sense for us in the short run to focus on, on cannabis. Um, there's, a, there's a glut of hemp and hemp related outputs on the market right now. And so we felt like in the short run, maybe it's not a good time for us to play in that space strategically. Uh, but definitely it's on the radar screen in, in terms of growing. No, with hemp you can grow outdoor. It's a far, a far cheaper grow process than the greenhouse or indoor. So it's definitely on our radar screen as something that we're looking to do. But out the gate, we're going to be focusing on uh, cannabis as our initial. Uh, got it.
0: Got it. Got it. And then, and of course now you uh, you must be when you come back and forth to the United States you have to be visiting various facilities here in the States just to kind of keep track of what the technologies are
1: and things are happening? Oh, yeah, that that's going to be critical in terms of, you know, the IP, you know, within our organization is going out there and, and understanding best practices and, you know, getting some of that learning from from the U.S., which is on the forefront in that space. So definitely spending a lot of time there. Uh, Israel is also doing some amazing things in that space. So, you know, we're definitely going to be leveraging both of those, those regions in order to continue to build and grow the IP in, in the company.
0: And you, you have, you know, a background in building and creating wealth in and for communities. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how you're trying to expand it out so that this, this isn't like here in the United States where, you know, uh, this is an industry that was really built on the backs of, you know, blacks who you know spent most of the time in prisons mm-hmm. or, you know, this product, and now we're being excluded from, you know, the, uh, the opportunity to commercialize. How are you ensuring that there's an equity program for all constituents?
1: Sure. That, that's a fundamental part of our business and who we are. You know, as someone who's been an activist, you know, going way back to the sixth grade, you know, I've been an activist. It's something that's fundamental to who I am as an individual. And so by default, anything that I'm working on, that's going to be critical and important to it. So in terms of how that's showing up with respect to Afro Helios, first, we're making that, you know, from the social equity and transformation, you know, it's a core pillar of what we do, from, literally from seed to shelf, wherever possible, we want to make sure that we're taking advantage of opportunities to help build wealth. So starting in Lesotho and some of the other countries that we're going to be working in. Making sure that some of the local farmers and some of the local growers, where they are able to get their product you know, into the pipeline. So we want to be working very closely with the local indigenous growers um, in terms of building. Let's talk about building our brands. So, for example, right now, what we're doing, um, we're building an African luxury brand platform. And two of the brands that we're working with, one is a South African couple. They are building this new. It's a non-alcoholic spirit that they are launching. They are new to this industry. They're trying to build wealth. We wanna give people like that an opportunity to really bring their brands to the world stage and expose them to the world. We're working right now in the United States with a couple of young brothers who are in the uh, the chocolate space and the cigar space, all on this African luxury brands platform. These These are craft, Brands that are building, they're trying to get them up and running. We want to work with them to give them more exposure and grow them. Uh, when we start moving towards retail, that's much further down the line for us in terms of our, our evolution. But even with respect to the retail space, we want to make sure that the individuals with whom we're working with in terms of building some of these you know, these retail outlets are people from our community, people of color who previously didn't have the opportunity to access to these kinds of things. In the way we are raising capital um, for these kinds of opportunities, often it's the case that you know people of color, the small investor, doesn't even know about these, much less much less have access to invest in these things. We, in addition to doing the traditional kind of private placement, you know, capital raise, you know, with institutions and accredited and high net worth individuals, we've also opened up a crowdfunding platform, an equity crowdfunding platform that really gives people that traditionally would know about these these kinds of opportunities, a chance to invest and grow with us. As Afro Helios grows, they get a chance to participate. So at every stage of the way, we want to make sure that we've created shared value in, in, our, in the way that our business runs. So that that's critical to who we are. And as you mentioned, social equity, it's fundamental. It, black folks and people of color have disproportionately been you know the, the victims of, of of the war on drugs and the privatization of prisons. And so cannabis just became another pipeline to funnel us into the prison system. But now that's becoming legalized, we're not benefiting from it. Whether it be not having access to the licenses or being difficult to get access to licenses to being able to raise capital. Now many people get, you know, can get the license, but can they get the capital to get this thing off the ground? It's so fundamental that we create opportunities to help these communities benefit from an industry that they pay the price for, for, for years, for decades. That's fundamental to our business.
0: And now have you already started exporting any of your products? You're still in the early, early
1: stage. We're still in the the early stage. Um, We have not, we have not exported yet. Um, We're probably about eight, eight to nine months off from that. I think our first export, probably won't even be our own cultivation uh, output. It'll be um, the brands that we're creating. So what we'll be able to do is source our product from local African farmers to create the inputs that will go into some of the products that we're looking to build. And then, you know, down the line, as we continue to build up our cultivation, um, then we'll be exporting directly from our output.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, just a ballpark figure of what kind of you know um um, cumulative uh acreage you
1: have under your control i mean are you looking at right well right now we've got three hectares we're starting out pretty small three hectares that's all going to be um polytunnels so we're going to be using greenhouse Uh, we're also looking at still early we're looking at another opportunity in a very in a nearby country it's still early stage i can't give the details yet but they have the largest uh, greenhouse on the African continent. And so we're in the process of finalizing a relationship with them, where we'll also be uh, cultivating in their greenhouses.
0: Gotcha. And then of course, uh, there's, uh, will there be any difficulty in shipping across country lines, boundaries? Yeah.
1: could <laughs> Well, between Lesotho and South Africa, no. Um, between Lesotho and South Africa, we don't anticipate any problems there um in terms of the country that we're looking at with that greenhouse it's still too early to tell because right now they're still refining the, um, the the legislation in that space so it's still a work in progress um but we feel confident that once this thing launches um we shouldn't have too many problems
0: and when you when you say legislation in that particular space but what about the legislation in Lesotho i mean how are they how are, are they looking at you and how are they you know um What's their response been so far to what you've done?
1: Well, I think Lesotho has uh, been excited about not just us. There's been a number of uh, other companies that have come into Lesotho to begin cultivating. There was quite a bit of interest from Canada. In fact, some of the bigger uh, companies like Canopy Growth was here for a while. Um, some of the other players, Halo, has, have come into Lesotho because they see the opportunity also. What's happening that right now with Lesotho? As they're continuing to evolve their legislation, um, they were the first ones out the gate, and to be quite honest, it was great, but it, wasn't, it was a bit imperfect. Um, they didn't have a, a model really to work from. So they have been really trying to evolve their legislation based on, you know learning, you know what's happening with the companies on the ground um, at the moment, what's working, what's not working, and how do they continue to tweak their legislation over time? to make it more amenable to cultivation and particularly more amenable to raise capital and to export to the world market. So I mentioned before uh, that pharmaceutical uh, convention. They are really pushing now to make sure that they're a part of that so that the companies that are, you know, that have invested on the ground in Lesotho are able to access those world markets directly from Lesotho without having to go through a second country in order to get that GMP. Certification
0: for their their output. Excellent. Well, at times, Darren Hickman, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. And I, I look forward to any opportunities or any chance that you ever want to come back to give us and fill us in on where you are and how you're doing. I'd love to have you back here again. And uh, let's just keep our conversations open.
1: You know, yeah, uh, I'd
0: love to. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay. For sure. Well, thanks so much. And thank you so much. I hope you learned something today. I learned so much. Right? My head is going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm blown away, but I want you to make sure you tune in to the next edition of Let's Be Blown with Montel. And make sure you follow what's going on, not just in your own little town, but around <laughs> the world. Have a great day. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blown with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments are you dealing with best life burnout constantly striving for more and quite frankly over it maybe you just want more joy peace and laughter in your life now